Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company and our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Calm Mysteries the sequel by Jeffrey Deaver. Read by Perry F. Bruns. Lowell waited for no more than three minutes when she came back on the line. I think I found something. Go ahead. Taking more deep breaths. In the fall of 67, there are a half dozen letters from your father to Stoddard Goodwin, reminding him he'd received a box of personal material from North Carolina, and he wanted to forward it to him. He never responded, and Mr. Lowell apparently gave up just like the son didn't care about any of his father's other personal effects. Bad memories. Lowell said quickly, which means the box might be in the file room downstairs. A pause. You want me to go check? Would you mind? The basement, she said. Would you mind? He repeated. The cellar was filthy, filled with dirt and dust, far worse than the worst grit you'd find in the office proper. I'll put on my miner's hat. You're wonderful, my dear. They disconnected. A lead? Wilkins asked. Possibly. 
Lowell spent the next hour continuing his search but found nothing else. He thanked Wilkins, donated $100 to the museum fund, and drove to the hotel where Caitlin had booked a room for him, wondering where he might get a good southern meal for dinner, with bourbon and without sweet tea. As he proffered his credit card, the young clerk glanced at her records and told him he'd just received a fax. He took the envelope, the sender's number was his own office, and ripped it open. The top sheet reported in Caitlin's handwriting, Frederick found the box. Pages and pages of notes about some crime, murder trial, witnesses, death penalty, etc. Oh, and at the bottom was something you might be interested in. A manuscript. 540 pages. I'm including the first page. Caitlin. P.S. I will never get the dirt out from under my nails without an expensive manicure. 8 two, sixty-seven, Anderson's Hope by Edward Goodwin. Chapter 1 Jesse Anderson turned 18 in May, the age of majority, the age when he was free to make his own decisions, the age when he would soon learn how his anger, not his heart, would become his principal guide. The Anderson family had by then relocate, strike, moved from West Fullerton Street in the mad, teeming metropolis, strike, maelstrom of Chicago, to a burg carved out of the plains 40 miles north, not even in existence until five years before. And though geographically short, what a journey it was from Carl Sandburg's city to the strange enclave of Miller's Falls. Forty miles of new concrete highway, of new commuter train lines, of vistas of flat plains, land that had once sustained farms and was now in transition, strike in transition, changing for the worse, betrayed by the government, by the market and the financiers, by greed, exhausted by greed. This was, strike this was, this move alone might seem to be the reason to engender fury within the soul of the youngest Anderson son, though it would soon be, page one. The sequel had been sitting eighty or so feet directly beneath Lowell's desk for half a century. Sir, are you all right? The young clerk asked, staring at him. The lawyer looked at her blankly, then nodded. He called Preston Malone, got his fax number, and told him to check out what he was about to receive. Lowell then arranged for the transmission and called back a few minutes later. The biographer, breathless and with quivering voice, said, I'm sure it's authentic. He explained that he had one of the original typescripts of Cedar Hills and confirmed that the typewriter typeface was similar to that of the first manuscript. The writing style was, too, reflected in the strikeouts and the all-caps, which meant, Malone speculated, that Goodwin was wondering if it was the best, the most precise, the most lyrical choice of word or expression. After disconnecting, he walked in a daze to his room, actually feeling feverish with excitement. His face burned, his ears rang. He called Caitlin and told her what Malone had said. Frederick, we found it! We did indeed. He added that he'd be back first thing tomorrow, then said solemnly, Whatever else you do, make a copy. You bet, Frederick. I'll do it now. Oh, and you know that manicure you mentioned? Add on a pedicure, too. Yay! An hour later, he texted the siblings, telling them that he'd found a copy of the sequel and would be reading it tomorrow. He chose not to call because he didn't want to be drawn into a long discussion with Stoddard about how much money the book would generate. That night, Lowell lay awake until 5 a.m., lost in a thousand thoughts, very few of which had to do with the business aspects of the find, the money, rights, licensing. Mostly he was wondering, 
What would become of Jesse Anderson, the whole world's marvelous every-boy in Cedar Hills Road? A few hours later, he was on the first flight to Charlotte, where he connected to LaGuardia. He was so eager to get back to the office he didn't want to wait in line for a cab, so he'd arranged for a car service to pick him up, an expense he otherwise wouldn't have considered. The limo cooperated, but the traffic did not. He sat in the back of the Lincoln, hugely impatient as the crush of rush-hour vehicles wormed its way toward Manhattan. Two blocks from 7th Avenue, the limo at a standstill, he climbed out, handed the driver an extra tip, and trotted the rest of the way to the office. An elevator, naturally, was out of order, and there was a queue for the remaining one. Lowell debated the stairs, but the office was on the 7th floor, and he was not in great shape. He knew the Stig Larson story. He waited in line. Finally, he strode into the familiar dim hallway into his office, swinging the door open and smiling like a gold medal Olympian. Caitlin looked up from her desk and burst into tears. It's been stolen, Frederick. The copy, too. They're both gone. Thank you, detectives, for listening to tonight's Calm Mystery by the Murder Mystery Company. I'm Perry F. Bruns. Would you like to show somebody you care? Is there a mystery fan in your life? Couldn't they use a quiet moment and a great story? I'm doing personal stories of 20 minutes or less. Something personal like this can make a friend or family member feel truly loved in an otherwise dark time. They're only $49, and you can email me at calmmystery, that's C-A-L-M mystery, at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay tuned for more tales to tingle and terrify while giving you a needed break from the outside world.